Praise God. Well, hey, my name is Marcus Ellington, and I have the privilege of being the next-gen pastor here at Grace Covenant. I want to reiterate something that Gio mentioned when she was up here just a moment ago. We do have services for your high school and your junior high students at every Sunday service. So while you're here enjoying Sunday service for adults, your high schoolers and your junior hires are welcome to join us upstairs for age-appropriate and age-specific services. We are so grateful to be able to care for your students and to minister to them directly. But check this out. When we say next gen here at Grace, we're not just talking about junior high and high school. We're talking about the little littles all the way up to our young adults. And because we believe so much in the next generation, we provide something for each one of them. So once again, if you are a high school or a junior high student and you're here in service, I want to encourage you to try to join us here in the next week or so. I guarantee you're going to love it. And parents, listen to this. If you have little ones who have not yet been to our kids' ministry, oh my goodness, they are missing out. You're going to want to get them there. Now let me give you a hint. When I was a kid, my mom didn't give me a choice. Just want to make sure you guys knew that. <laughs> God is so, so good. Hey, some of you may be new or newer here at Grace, and I want to make sure I'm clear on this. I am not Pastor Zach. He is not here today. Um, in fact, he will be back. So I want to encourage you guys, if you are here, consider this your first formal invitation to come back and join us next week and say hello to Pastor Zach. Did anybody come prepared to get in the Word today? Good. Would you stand on your feet with me, as has become our custom here at Grace? We're going to read out loud, and we're going to read together. We're going to read out of the book of Jonah. I get the privilege of closing up our series today, and I believe you will be blessed just as I have been as well. We're going to read Jonah chapter number 4, verses 1 through 3, and they're going to be there on the screens so you can follow along. Ready? Let's read. But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Father, as we approach your word, we do so as always with great humility, grateful that we have your word that's living and active. And Lord, we pray that even as we share the word today, that you would minister to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We do believe that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. So do so today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, look at your neighbor and say, what's going to happen next? <laughs> you may be seated. Now, many of you have been with us for the course of this series, and some of you have not. But I want to give you a little recap quickly just to catch us up to where we are, because as I mentioned, we're going to conclude our series on Jonah today. But you guys know Jonah chapter number one. If you've been to Sunday school at all in the course of your life, you have heard about Jonah and the great fish. But I want to I recap just a bit. So the Lord God spoke to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet in Israel. And God spoke to him and told him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was in the land of Assyria. It was the capital city. And uh, if you know this, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Ninevites or the Assyrians were 
adversaries, we could say, of Israel. They were literally always at odds with the children of Israel. But God spoke to Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh, and he had a message that he wanted him to preach or to proclaim. Well, you guys know the story. Jonah said no. And instead of going the direction he was supposed to go towards Nineveh, he took a detour, a huge detour that wasn't actually going to get him, well, eventually it would get him to where he needed to be, but it wasn't his intent for it to get him to where he needed to be. And he was heading towards a place called Tarshish. Now, that's an interesting word to say, Tarshish. Anyway, but he was headed towards Tarshish, and as he gets on this ship, he's, he's on the way, and the Bible says that the Lord God provided a great wind. And this great wind caused a great storm to arise, and Jonah is now in the bottom of this boat taking a nap while this storm is breaking out, and all the people, the experienced crew and the captain, they're going crazy, and they're praying to their gods, lowercase g, but it's not doing anything to stop this storm. So finally, the captain runs downstairs, and he wakes Jonah up, and he's like, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he can help us. So Jonah eventually gets to the top, and uh, they begin to cast lots, a system of finding out who, who was the one, who was, who was the one causing this issue. And they begin to cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they begin to interrogate him. Who are you? Where are you from? Who are your people? Who is your God? What line of profession are you in? I mean, they're asking him everything. And Jonah finally confesses up and say, or confesses up, and he says, I serve the God of gods. I serve the God who created the land and the sea. And he begins to explain to them what's going on. And he says, just throw me overboard, and all this will go away. And listen, look how cool these guys are. Instead of just saying, oh, cool, and grabbing them and tossing them overboard, they actually, the Bible says, try to roll back to land first. And as they're trying to roll back to land, the storm is getting worse and worse and worse. And eventually they're like, oh, Lord, please forgive us for the blood of this innocent man. <laughs> and they toss Jonah overboard. Now, I told you guys this before. I like to put some imagination into the text when I'm reading. I like to try to think through what were they thinking at the time when this was going on. And the Bible doesn't give us clarity here, so I take a little bit of liberty. But it's interesting because I wonder, when they threw Jonah over, what did they do? Did they kind of wait and the storm started to calm? They're like, wow. And they just stood and waited and watched him? Or were they like, well, I hope you make it, man, and they just kept rowing and went on about their lives? Like, like we really don't know. But nevertheless, they throw Jonah overboard, and this is where it gets really crazy. The Bible says that God prepared a great fish or provided a great fish, and this fish swallowed Jonah. Now, let me pause here. Hard stop. I am from California, and often when I tell people I'm from California, they say, wow, Pastor Marcus, do you surf? And I say, I do not. Because this is the way I see it. That's the shark's house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, see, my brother over there was like, yep. See, that's the shark's house, right? Now, the truth of the matter is, I don't invite the sharks to my house, and I don't go to their house. That's just not the way this works. But all jokes aside, this is where my nightmares would be made. Jonah's in the sea, and as he's there, I, I really, I don't know how this looked, but somehow this giant fish comes out of nowhere and swallows him. Now, that would have been the end for me, even before the fish swallowed me. Just, first of all, being in the sea, I'm almost dead already, just being there. But then the, seeing this fish, like, I, that would have been it. I'd have been like, yes, Jesus, just take me now, right? But he gets swallowed by this fish, and you guys know the story. He's in there for some days, and while he's there, he has this moment where he really surrenders to the Lord. He's praying a beautiful prayer to God. And then the Lord causes this great fish to vomit Jonah up on dry land. Now, again, I... I have to use my imagination when I'm reading. I, I kind of wonder what that looked like. 
Like where, where some people on vacation, like, oh, finally we're, we're here at the beach and they're relaxing. And then this giant fish kind of beaches itself and, <laughs> and there's Jonah. He's like, oh, and he gets up and he's like, what? And walks off or like, is that how that happened? Or I heard one minister friend said, like, maybe it was, it was different. Maybe Jonah's like a half a mile away. And then the, the, the great fish just kind of projectile vomited to him, right? And Jonah just flies and lands in the sand. I mean, we don't know what it looked like, but nevertheless, the Lord caused this giant or great fish to vomit Jonah out on the land. And at this point, the Lord speaks to Jonah again. And he tells him what to do. He tells him to go to the city of Nineveh and Jonah, listen, how many of you would have listened as well? <laughs> Not that hard head, right? So check this out. I want to pick, pick up reading in Jonah chapter 3. Listen to what happens in verse number 4. It says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, this is his message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What's amazing here is to Jonah's surprise, the people hear this message and they begin to repent. They begin to turn. In fact, the king of the city hears, the king of the nation hears, and he proclaims a fast throughout the whole nation. He says, listen, I don't want any person to eat or drink or any animals to eat or drink. How many think your dog would have been grateful for that? Yeah, uh-huh. So he proclaims a fast for everyone, the people and the animals. And they put on sackcloth and ashes. They're, hum they're literally humbling themselves before God. And then Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says this. When God, saw, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. How many of you know God is a merciful God? Amen. So we see Jonah here in this story. He preaches this eight-word message, and the people, the whole nation turns and they repent. And instead of God having to bring destruction on Nineveh at this time, he relents. He turns from it, and he doesn't bring that destruction. And that's where we pick up in Jonah chapter 4. Verse number one, and it says this, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. The word wrong there is displeased. The word angry is hot or vexed. Anybody ever been hot or vexed in here? Now listen, listen, no need to elbow anybody. It's not about them, it's just about you. Anybody? Good, a few of us, right, are honest. So Jonah became greatly displeased, he became hot and he became vexed. And this is what he says in verse number two. He, Jonah, prayed to the Lord and he says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing the Tarshish. I knew that you, listen to what he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He's speaking the truth. But he's literally saying, and that's why I didn't want to go, because you're merciful. And I knew that I'd go and I'd preach this message to my enemies, and instead of you destroying them, if they humble themselves, you'd relent. So I didn't want to go. Point number one for those of you taking notes, and just in case you didn't know this, note takers are history makers. So go ahead and take notes if you're not. <laughs> Point number one is this, God is merciful to the humble. God is merciful to the humble. In fact, Proverbs 28, 13, it won't be on the screen, but listen to this. It says, when you confess and forsake, you find mercy, mercy. God is merciful to the humble. These people humble themselves under this message. And even though Jonah is upset, 
God relents because of the hearts of the people. In fact, Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion and great in mercy. God is merciful to the humble. But let's pick up in verse 3 and see what Jonah thought about this. Jonah says in verse 3, Now take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. How many of you would say this is a bit extreme? I mean, if I can use modern terms, I think Jonah's being a little bit of a drama queen. Like, let's be honest, right? Jonah is literally days removed from the belly of a great fish. Now, I thought that in chapter 2, when he's, this magnificent prayer is going on, that Jonah really changed. Like, I thought, this is a different man. He gets to Nineveh. He preaches the message. Things are going well. These people humble themselves, and now he has an attitude. Now he's like, see, Lord, I didn't even want to come in the first place because I know you, and I know you're good. I know you're compassionate. I know you're merciful. I know all that, but I don't want that for them. I want that for me. Come on, let me talk to you for a moment. Sometimes we're in the midst of the pit, the belly of the fish. We can say all the right things at the right time. Oh, Lord, if you only, (laughs) Lord, if you only get me out of this, I promise I won't. Lord, if you, if you get me out the belly of this fish, <laughs> I, I promise I'll go to Nineveh and I'll preach. And, I'll, and listen, he did. But he was still having heart issues. Now Jonah's saying, it'd be better for me to be dead. I'm shocked that God didn't say, well, Jonah, I could prepare another great fish. <laughs> See, because what if the great fish wasn't a great fish? What if it was a great white? That would have been a whole different story, right? It would have ended a little shorter. Right? It would have been over. But this great fish, God, in his mercy even to Jonah, provides this fish. See, I think sometimes we look at the book of Jonah just uh, for for Sunday schools, for children. Like, oh, wow, the great fish. And we have fish on the walls and we we talk about it. But this speaks to all of us. See, because Jonah is the prophet. He's the man of God and he's running from God. I won't ask you to raise your hands of who's ever run from God. But Jonah's running from God. And then he finds himself in a bad place. A place to where if he would have just done what God told him to do, he would have never had to be. He finds himself in the belly of a great fish, and all of a sudden it's all attention on God, and whatever you want God, I'll do. Then God spits, has this fish spit him out, and Jonah still has an attitude. But let's keep reading. Verse number four. But the Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry? (laughs) Verse five, Jonah Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah is still thinking destruction's coming. So he goes out and he makes himself a little shelter. And he sits down. I would say he bought a ticket to the game, but he bought box seats. I mean, he's sitting there and he's comfortable. He's like, I'm going to watch this. This is going to be great. His expectation was devastation for the people. Verse 6 says this, though. Then the Lord God provided, you'll see that multiple times in this text, the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Now hold on. Jonah's very displeased that God wants to save people, but he's very happy that God made a plant to give him shade for his head. I'm telling you, man, sometimes we read these Bible stories and we think, those guys are so perfect. Jonah wasn't. And I don't know if you're as weird as I am, but that encourages me. (laughs) 
The fact that Jonah wasn't perfect encourages me. Because here's what I know. God still used him to save many people. That tells Marcus that even though I'm a hot mess on my best day without Jesus, that he can still use me if I submit to him. So Jonah finds himself in this place where he's sitting and he's waiting for destruction of the city. God gives him, provides him this leafy plant and makes it grow over him to give him shade. Verse 7 says, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Hey, for those of you taking notes, point number two, so I don't forget, is God is merciful, merciful to the undeserving. Even to Jonah, the same guy who needed to be rescued by a fish, the same God who, guy who was running from God, God is merciful to the undeserving. So we see now that God now provides a worm which chewed this plant so that it withered. In verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint He wanted to die. And listen to what he said. It would be better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. (laughs) And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. I mean, if you know Jonah, better be careful. (laughs) Verse number 10, but the Lord says, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. He goes on to say in verse 11, And should I not have concern, the same word there, for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. God's pointing out the discrepancy here. He's saying, wait a minute, Jonah, wait a minute. Do you see this? You're so concerned about a plant that you had nothing to do with. I provided this plant, and it gave you comfort. And because it gave you comfort, you were very well pleased. But the next day, I provided a worm who ate the plant in such a way that it died. And now the sun is scorching on your head. And I provided an east wind, and it was hot, and you felt like you wanted to die. Well, if you had nothing to do with that plant, and you cared about it so much, how much more should I care about the great city of Nineveh with people in it who were made in my image and in my likeness? People who's, who literally I have a heart for, I want to see saved. I, remember, I love what Peter tells us in the New Testament. He says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jonah, how can you care more for a plant than for people? Listen, in Jonah's mind, the answer may have been easy because he really disliked the Assyrians. He disliked what they were all about. They were barbaric people extremely cruel, but it wasn't only from a distance he saw it. They had attacked Israel multiple times. He did not like them at all. As I was preparing for this text, I was thinking, Lord, how am I like that in some ways? See, because if you're giving your life to Jesus, you've said the prayer, and you said, Lord, I surrender to you. You're the Lord of my life, the Lord, the master, the owner, the controller, the decision maker in my life. I surrender to you, and I'll do anything you say except, please don't send me to them. Because I really don't like them. And Lord, it's not my fault. I was raised that way. That's just kind of how my family was coming up. I don't like that type of people. Maybe I don't like people in a lesser socioeconomic status. Or maybe I don't like people who, who don't look or are not the same color as me. Or maybe I don't like people who don't talk the same as me. And listen, God loves people. He does not discriminate. Because people are image bearers. 
I'm going to say that again because you need to say amen to that one. People are image bearers. And as image bearers of God, we should have the same heart that he has to love people and want to share the good news with them so they can be adopted into the family. Jonah didn't catch this, though. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to share. And even when he shares, he's still hoping that God would destroy these people. But point number three is simple. God's mercy is for everyone. For everyone. Everyone. Well, Pastor Marcus, you mean like the poorest of the poor? Yes. You mean like the richest of the rich? Yes. You mean all the minority groups? Yeah. You mean the majority groups? Uh Uh-huh. God's mercy is for everyone. In fact, I remember in Genesis chapter number 12, the Lord speaking to a man named Abram who would later become Abraham. And you guys remember when he told Abram to leave his father and his mother's house and go to a land where he would show him? And Abram was obedient. He said, okay, I'll do it. And he leaves his father and his mother's house. Matter of fact, I'll read it here out of Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Listen to this. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this is the key. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I need you to hear this. God would use Abram later after covenant, Abraham, to be the father of Israel, we could say. We know that later Jacob comes with Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob had the 12 sons, which become the tribes. We, we get all that. But I want you to see it started with this man, Abram. And from the very beginning, God was saying, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you do an in-depth Greek word study on the word all, you'll be absolutely amazed as you begin to dig into it, you'll see that the word all actually means all. (laughs) It's phenomenal. Like, it's one of those things that are just incredible. Like, you you read it and you're like, wow, it really means that. That means every person we see, the homeless person on the side of the street, all people, God's desire is to bless them. So when Jonah gets to this place where he's sitting comfortably in his seat, he's concerned with his own comfort. Man, the sun is beaming. I don't have any coverage anymore. I'm, I'm upset now. I just wanted to sit here comfortably and watch God annihilate over 120,000 people. But God's heart is mercy. Listen, don't think this is only for the Assyrians and the Ninevites. Listen, I want you to think about you. I I think about me when I read things like this. I remember how I was without Jesus. And I remember the night I sat in my dorm room in in Great Falls, Montana, and I called out to God. And when I called out to him, he answered me. I hadn't done anything worth tallying to even say, look at how good I'd been. But I called on him and he answered me. When I said I needed saving, he saved me. He didn't say, I'm so sorry, Marcus, you don't fit the demographics, therefore this is not for you. Jonah sits here comfortably in his seat, and now he's frustrated because God takes away his shade. Listen, let's be honest. If I could talk to us for a moment, as Christians, us, as Christians, we are, we are prone to gravitating towards comfort. 
We like it when I've given my life to Jesus, I'm now saved and all is well. And you know what? I just, I'm going to just have my Bible study and I'm going to have my Jesus friends. And this is the devotional we do. And we're just going to sit here until Jesus comes back. Well, Pastor Marcus, what's wrong with the Bible study? What's, ha- what's wrong with having Jesus friends? And what's wrong with doing devotions? Nothing. Those are amazing. The problem is when we begin to exchange the great commission for the great comfort. Ooh, I didn't say that in first service. I like that. <laughs> we begin getting comfortable and it's like, let me just do this. And we just can't wait for Jesus to come back. Well, we, he can come and get us and get us out away from those people. But you guys have all heard of the Titanic, right? This ship that they said even God couldn't sink. Hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? You know what's interesting about this ship? It was a, it was a, a marvel at the time. And I remember on there reading the stories, and actually my son and I went to Tennessee to the Titanic Museum. If you haven't been there, it's actually pretty neat to see. But we, we were there, and we're walking through the, the history, and we're seeing things, and it actually shows a portion of the deck. And you, you can try to climb up the deck when it was at the different angles at the different times of night as it began to sink. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. And, and I, we're walking through there, and what caught me was that this great ship did not have the proper amount of life rafts for all the people. So they thought the ship couldn't be sunk anyway, but you guys know the story. They're out there and they have this incident where they crash into an iceberg and water begins to come into the ship. Not just any water, but freezing cold water begins to enter the bottom of the ship. Now, the way these ships were made, there were compartments that were watertight. They were supposed to be able to contain the water and not let it spread throughout the ship. The problem was they wanted to save money, so they used a lesser quality rivet. And the rivets began to fail. And water began to spread from compartment to compartment to compartment. And this great and amazing ship began to sink. But I need you to imagine with me for just a moment that you were a passenger on the Titanic. Let's just say you have a family like mine. It's me and my wife and our two children. We're on this ship and people are panicking because they realize the ship is going down. So the way it worked was women and children got to go first onto the life rafts. So many men would step back and let the women and children get on. Each life raft could hold a certain amount. Let's say, for example, say 21. So 21 women and children eventually got to a point where they started allowing men to get on. But any smart person would look around the room and say, there's a lot of people here and there's only a few rafts left. Let's say that you just happen to be looking around and you spot a raft that no one else sees. Tell your wife, your children, come on, come on. You get to the raft, you begin to lower it, you get your children and you get your wife and you get in, you lower this thing all the way down, you hit the water and you disengage from the boat. Technically, you're saved. You're floating on the water watching this amazing massive ship sink. But your gaze is interrupted because you begin to hear, help, we're over here, help. Help me, I'm drowning, help. Help, my daughter's drowning, somebody help us. Now, you have a choice. Do you slowly paddle away? Me and my family are safe. We are saved. Hope all is well with you guys. Or, do you do what I believe God would want you to do and what I believe I would do, I've never been in that situation, but my hope would be that I would say, hey, I hear you, where are you? Where are you? Hey, can you hear me? We have room in our raft. Hey, come on, come on, get in. 
How many? One, two, three, four, five. Come on, we got room for some more. 16 more. Anybody else? Would you try to get people in your ship too, in your raft too, because you realize I have the key that can take you from certain death to life. Well, Christians, we, me included, we have not only the key that can take us from certain death, not just physical death, but spiritual and eternal death to life. But like Jonah, we only want that salvation for us. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then he commissioned us to go out and be the good news bearers. Not only are we image bearers, but we're also the ones who carry the message. So when Jonah had an attitude and Jonah was upset, God's heart was always mercy. When Jonah didn't care about the people of Nineveh, God loved them so much that he sent Jonah. Why? God's heart is mercy. If you're in this room today and you've been alive for more than a minute, you know that you need mercy. <laughs> Whether you know it or not, it's the truth. As I was chewing on this, and even as we sang this song, Run to the Father, earlier, I was reminded of the story of the prodigal son. You guys remember that one? Remember the young man came to his father and said, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. His father's like, okay, and he gave him all the things that were rightfully his. And the young boy ran off and began to live a reckless life, spending his money and partying and having what he thought was a good time. Until he came to the end where he didn't have any more. He began to join himself with a citizen, and he began to work feeding his animals. And at one point, he's down with the pigs, and this Jewish boy, we would presume, is at a place where he's so hungry, he's even considering eating with the pigs. He comes to his senses for a moment, and he realizes, even the servants in my father's house live better than this. I know what I'll do. I'm going to go back to my dad's house. I'm just going to humble myself and go back to dad. So he does this. He's heading back to dad, and his father sees him coming on the road. He picks up his garment and he runs to his son, opens his arm and he embraces his son. Listen, the mercy was the running to and embracing because mercy is simply not giving you what you truly deserve. What he could have said was, no, 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 no. You're greedy. You took what you wanted even before I died. You had your inheritance, figure it out. Mercy was, come here, my son. But then the father heaped grace on top of the mercy. He got, Go get him a robe and get him a ring and, and, and go slaughter the fatted calf. Let's have a barbecue. My son is back. Let's party. He's home. He gave him mercy, but then he poured grace on top of it. Why was Jesus telling this parable? Because that's the heart of the father. There's so many people in this room and outside who are so hard on themselves. And today I believe God wants you to know there's mercy for you. There's so many people who are hard on others, and God wants us also to know there's mercy for them. I want to do this. I want to ask everyone in this room to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. 
What I love about what God shared with Abraham about blessing all the nations of the earth is that in the book of Acts, we see Peter sharing the gospel with Cornelius' household. The Holy Spirit falling on them. They're giving their lives to Jesus. These are Gentiles, people outside of the Jewish, the Jewish faith and custom. Then we see in the book of Revelation that one day, every tribe and nation, every tongue, differing nations and, and tongues will all surround the throne of the Lamb and worship him together. This is God's heart. But I can imagine in a room of this size, there are people in here who may feel like Jonah. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere except. For some of you, it may be, I I don't want to do or answer God's call on my life. But for some of you, there may be what I think Jonah was dealing with, some prejudice inside. Where he didn't want to extend the love and grace and the mercy of God to certain people groups. Listen, if you're in here right now, I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front and raise your hand or tell your story, none of that. But if you're in here right now and you know, I got some of that in my heart too. I got some prejudice in my heart and I'm ready to get rid of that. I want to be free from that. If you're in this place and that's you, while everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want you right now, just go to slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Praise God. While your heads are still bowed and your eyes are still closed, some of you may be like Jonah where God said some things to you and you've chosen to go the opposite direction. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going this way. I'm going the opposite way. But you're in need of a second chance and you know it. Listen, the good thing about God is he's so full of compassion and love, so full of mercy. You don't have to be afraid of him. Some people are like, I don't know, what if God gets me? Here's the truth. If God wanted to get you, (laughs) he would have got you already. He's not after you other than his desires for you to come back to him. If you're in this room right now and you know I need a second chance, I need to recommit myself to Jesus, If that's you right now, I just want you to slip your hand in the air. Good. Praise God. Praise God. Hands up there too. Praise God. Good. Hands all over here. Praise God. Anyone else? Praise God. Another back there. Good. Go ahead and put your hands down. And lastly, while your eyes are still closed and heads are still bowed, if there's anybody in this place right now, and you know like the Assyrian people, the Ninevites, if you recognize, I didn't even know God. I was following after all kinds of other things, but today I'm ready to give my life to him, to make him the Lord of my life. I want to surrender today to Jesus. If that's you right now, just going to slip your hand into the air. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus, praise God. Anyone else? Praise God. Praise God. And people are giving their life to Jesus today. This is good. Anyone else? Praise God. Go ahead and put your hands down. I'm going to pray over us, and I'm going to ask you all to pray and repeat after me here. But let me pray over you. Father, I thank you for your word today, the privilege we have to to open it and to read from it, to study it, and to allow your Holy Spirit to minister to us. Lord, I pray for people in the room who are vulnerable today and honest 
saying, I have some prejudice in my heart, and I don't want that anymore. I want to be free. I pray that today, as they're confessing and forsaking that, not only do you forgive them and cleanse them of all unrighteousness, but Lord, I ask that by your Spirit, fill them fresh and help them to walk in love and extend mercy and grace to people. Lord, for some of them, this may be generations deep, but I pray that by the power of God that you break that cycle. To come back, I need a second chance. Lord, I pray that today, even as they're talking to you right now, I pray, oh God, that you are doing something new in their hearts, renewing them and reminding them of your great love so that as they give themselves back to you, this commitment won't be just words, but a, a heart completely surrendered to you. And lastly, Lord, I pray for those who are about to pray to surrender their lives to you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I thank you that today will be a day that's memorable in their lives because it will mark the day they became new creations and they live the rest of their lives that way. The day they became new creations and they live the rest of their lives that way. Can you all repeat after me? Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. The death he died in my place. Thank you that you raised him to life again. Thank you that he's alive today. I repent of my sins. I turn away from them. And I turn to you. Forgive me of those things. I thank you that today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that not only did he die, but you raised him again to life. And today I have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. So I thank you for salvation. I thank you that the new has come. And I thank you that the old is gone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap our hands and thank God for his goodness today. Thank you, Father.